you're here, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I, um, I do want to say, if, if you were a part of my adult small group on Sunday evenings that happened during Awana, um, we kind of ended our time a little bit weirdly because of some of the different Awana events that I didn't want to conflict with. And so I'm going to just encourage you to meet me down front after the service. I just want to talk to you a little bit about our small group and just uh, ask a couple questions for you. So if you're a part of that adult small group on Sunday evenings here at the church, if you just meet me after the service down front, I just wanted to talk to you for a quick second. I'm going to start in a word of prayer. I have to say, I, I've got DC Talk on the mind. How many of you know that, that group? The rest of you don't know because you're too young or you're too old. I'm sorry. It, it was a niche group in there that, that know. But Levi was talking about, you know, uh, the times of stumbling for these teens walking with the Lord, there are going to be times of stumbling. And first thing that came to my mind was the song that they sang, called, What If I Stumble and What If I Fall? And then when I was thinking through my introduction this morning, they have a song called Time is Ticking Away. So I don't know why I have them on my mind, but uh, there's a couple different things already in the service that have got me thinking about that group. Um, and we are going to be talking about time this morning in our message and so let's use our time wisely. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to dig into your word today. I thank you for the fact that for these few weeks in the summer, which will go by quickly, all too quickly, we have the privilege as a church family to gather together and fellowship together and worship together and learn together in one service. And God, I, I, I'm thankful for the fact that we have the need for two services. And God, I ask that you would continue to bless and grow this church body so that that need continues to exist and is even more important. But I have to say thank you, God, for allowing us to be together for these few weeks and to worship together and to sing together and to adore you together. And God, I pray that this time that we have this morning would be a time where your Holy Spirit speaks from your word to each and every one of us. And that you would impact our hearts and our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. First Peter chapter 4. Uh, Levi asked me in, uh, when we were sitting in front we in First Peter again, I said, no, I think I will change it up and say we're going to go to Ezekiel. But no, we, we, we're working through First Peter. We've got to get to the end of First Peter. And Lord willing, we will. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, but as we approach this passage, I want you to think about time for a second. Actually, the, if I was to title my message, I would entitle my message, It's About Time. Or maybe you've heard the phrase, It's High Time that we did this or that or the other, but really Peter is making reference to time, a few different instances in this particular passage. And as I was thinking about time, what's one of the most common things that is said about time? They say that time waits for no one, right? 
There are instances in life when we are reminded that time is fleeting. There are other occasions when we assume that we have plenty of time. Actually, I thought about that as the grads were standing up here. We talk about these high school grads and we talk about the, the time that they have ahead of them. But then we sit in a funeral service and we're reminded that we're not guaranteed a particular amount of time. And that our time on this earth will come to an end. The problem is, is that we just don't know how much time that we have. And between this passage and the next passage, I really believe that Peter is trying to remind the believers that he's writing to that because we don't know how much time we have, how are we going to make most of the make the most of the time? How are we going to use this time? We know that for the really the rest of this letter, he's focusing an awful lot on suffering. And he doesn't stop there because he actually deals with suffering in this particular passage, but I want us to look at four different things from these verses this morning. The first thing that I want us to look at is this. We need to be prepared for troubling times. Peter, right off the bat in verse 1, says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Now, I don't know about you, but... Like some of the things that Peter has already written in this letter, we can look at that and say, what exactly is he saying here? And we probably need to delve into it a little bit so that we have some clarity here. The first thing that we would look at in this passage, if we were looking at these first couple of verses of this first verse, says he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. And so, we would look at it and say, well, you know, we, we've heard in church circles the word therefore, and we ask ourselves, you know, what's following it? What's it there for? And then we generally say, well, I'll refer to the very previous passage to get the context of what he's talking about. There are times when that is absolutely necessary. And then there are times when we need to be a little cautious when we do that because it's not this blanket rule that always works this way. Because if we look at it, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, you arm yourselves with the same understanding. And if we said, well, let's look at the previous context, the previous passage. The previous passage was in verse 18 where it says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Well, wait a second. Arm myself with the same understanding, the same purpose in some English translations. Well, first of all, my suffering doesn't win salvation for people like Jesus' suffering did. So I got to be careful to just say, well, must be talking about the preceding verses. And it applies that way to me. Or it applies that way to these believers. But we would be wrong in that. So you have to be careful with that. What's Peter talking about then if he's not talking about necessarily Christ's death on the cross of Calvary? One of the other aspects of Christ's suffering, and I, I think there's actually two other aspects of, to Christ's suffering, and I 
We'll touch on another aspect of it in a minute. We obviously know that Christ suffered and died for us on the cross of Calvary to bring us salvation. We spent a good deal of time the last time we were in this, in this book talking about that, the fact that Christ secured the victory over sin and death and hell for those who would believe in him, and that he proclaimed that victory. We talked about that. That is absolutely essential. But we also know that Christ suffered in the flesh because he did what was right. He was righteous. He was sinless when he was on the earth, ministering and proclaiming himself to the people around him when he was presenting himself as the Messiah to the children of Israel. Christ still suffered. He suffered ridicule, he suffered scorn, he suffered mocking, he suffered betrayal from people. He suffered in the flesh as he demonstrated a righteous life. And it's in that mentality that Peter is referring to for these believers. He's saying, you know what, Christ suffered in the flesh. He suffered because he lived the way that God the Father desired for him to live in complete obedience to the Father. Jesus was completely sinless. We're not like that. Jesus is God Almighty who came in the flesh. And yet we can have the same understanding. What? Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with the sin. If we live the way that God is calling us to live, Peter's saying, you know what? Like Christ, we will suffer. We need to be prepared for troubling times if we're going to follow the way that God tells us to live. That's just the way it is. And because Peter's saying, look, this is going to be a reality for you believers, he says, arm yourselves with the same understanding. The idea of arm yourselves with the same understanding, it's a military term. It is one of many military terms that are, being, that are used in the New Testament for believers. I have to say that we as Christians in North America, because we've lived in a time of peace, we don't really understand the gravity of what it means to be ready as if we are going into battle. See, we haven't experienced the unrest and the turmoil that many other nations have experienced. We haven't experienced what many other Christians and other nations have experienced because of the unrest and the turmoil, because of the attacks on them as Christians. Pastor Josh stood up here and shared that there was unrest over in Russia and that it's impacting believers over there. We, we, it's hard for us to grasp what that would be like to be in that situation. I'll be honest with you. As he and I were talking yesterday about kind of what was going on and how that might impact the believers that we know over there. One of the things that we were discussing when it came to some of the believers that we support and, and, and uh, pray for and are in contact with, one of the things that we gave by way of advice to them is be prepared to move or to, to exit if you have to. 
which means they needed to be ready. They needed to have their bags packed. They needed to be watching and listening to what was going on so that if they needed to, they could make a move if they had to. How many of us have ever thought about that? And yet we're reminded that as Christians, we are in spiritual warfare. We are in a battle. We're always in a battle. And yet how often are we not prepared because we're not arming ourselves, we're not thinking about the fact that we need to be standing ready every single day. And Peter reminds these believers, he says, arm yourselves with the same understanding as Christ. What's this understanding? That if I live the way that God has called me to live, I'm going to experience troubles. I'm going to experience suffering. I know it. I'm aware of it, I'm conscious of it, and I'm going to be prepared for it. There's plenty of other passages of Scripture that talk about this preparedness. Let me read a few for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and following, this is what Paul says. He's talking about his, his ministry and his companions as they minister for Christ, but Guess what? As believers in Jesus Christ, we are ministers for Christ. So I believe that this can still apply to us. He says, instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Notice that when Paul's talking here, he's saying, what are, my, what are our weapons as ministers of Christ? It's weapons of righteousness. It's the word of God. We are in a spiritual battle. We need to arm ourselves with that. He keeps on going. He says, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see, we live as being dis disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You realize that what Paul is saying here is really the same thing that Peter's been talking about. Paul's talking about he and his companions and what they've experienced and what they've suffered and what they've heard from other people, the slander, the ridicule, and yet he knows the truth. He knows that he's not really battling those people that he's witnessing to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows that his real battle is against the enemy of our soul and the demonic forces that try to stop the spread of the gospel. Paul says, you know what, but what do we do? We arm ourselves with righteousness. We arm ourselves with the word of God. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. Paul goes on. In Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar passage to us. Same idea. He's talking about arming ourselves like Peter's telling us to arm ourselves. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
And then he goes on and talks about what the armor looks like. Paul says the same thing as Peter's. Peter, we need to arm ourselves. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness in this present age. But I want to finish with this verse. Before I move on to the next point, and before I, I, st- I talk about this verse, it, it really lends to what Peter's saying at the end of verse 1 where he says this, because the one who suffers in the flesh is sin- finished with sin. I do need to explain that because that might be a little bit complicated for us or it might be hard for us to understand. When you hear the, the phrase finished with sin, you would say, but I, I, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know what? I still wrestle with sin. Dave, I'm, I'm not finished with sin. It seems to creep up. It seems to come at me from, you know, from the left and from the right. It catches me off guard sometimes. I'm not finished with sin. But really what Peter's talking about is this, is that commitment to suffering is evidence that we have broken from a life of sin. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to live differently. That our lives are not characterized by sinfulness. Peter will go on and talk about this more. But what I'll say is this, is if we are living the way that God has called us to live, if we are living righteous lives, that if we're pursuing godliness and trying to put away sinfulness in our lives, guess what? That commitment to not living a life of sin will bring suffering. We need to realize that, but guess what? That suffering sometimes is a reminder to us that, you know what, I am living the way that God has called me to live. Why? Because my life is opposed to a world system that loves lust and human passions. And what is it, what's in it for me? And when I'm not living the way that God, that, that way, but I'm, I'm living for what's in it for God... That's going to fly in the face of the world around me, and there is going to be suffering that comes sometimes. And I can say, you know what? I'm suffering. Why? Because I'm doing what God's called me to do. Having said that, I want to read Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, because I believe that Paul in these verses is really just saying what Peter's saying and leading into the very next thing that I want us to see. And the very next thing that I want us to see in verse 2 is we need to use our time obediently. So we need to realize that we live in troubled times, but we also need to use our time obediently. In verse 11, he says this, Besides this, since you know the time, Paul here talking about time as Peter's talking about time, Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So there's the mentality of arming ourselves. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing not, and drunkenness, 
not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's amazing how Paul in these verses is saying the same thing that Peter is saying in the verses that we're looking at. Why? Because this is what Peter says. Continue on with me in the passage. We need to use our time obediently, he says in verse 2, in order that, excuse me, in order to live in the remaining time in the flesh, just that means in the remaining time that we're here on earth in our bodies. What does he say? No longer for human desires, but for God's will. We need to realize, Christians, that we need to use our time obediently. If we don't know how much time we have, then the remaining time that we've got, we are to be living for God's glory. As Christians, we're not supposed to be living for ourselves. We're supposed to be sold out to God. We are to be living God's will in our lives. And that begs the question, well, what's God's will for me? And you've heard me say, you've heard other pastors say, it. we spend an awful lot of time looking after the, or trying to seek out the kind of the ethereal God's will. And ignore the fact that God's will is plainly evident through the words of Scripture. I'm just going to read a few verses. You've heard me say these before. But quite frankly, what's God's will for me? Well, Paul just talked about it in the previous verses. But does he say, let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity or promiscuity, not in quarreling or jealousy. These are all God's will. God's will is, I don't want you to live like this. I want you to live like this. But in 1 Thessalonians... Chapter 5. Now I'm going to read verse 3 for a second. Chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know what God's will is for you? He wants you as a believer to become more like Christ. The daily, day in, day out, I become more like Christ. I grow in my relationship with God. I grow in my intimacy with God. I grow in my communion with God. I spend time in prayer with God. I spend time in God's word. I spend time with believers who are sharpening me and I'm sharpening them and I'm keeping them accountable and they're keeping me accountable. I'm spending time with God's people worshiping God. I'm growing in my sanctification. As God convicts me of sin, I confess that sin and I repent of it and I walk away from it. Day in, day out, becoming more like Christ. What's God's will for us? Our sanctification. What's God's will for us? Chapter 5, verses 14 to 22. I'm going to read all these verses because I believe all of these things are God's will, but there's some very specific things in here that are spelled right out. This is God's will. But what's God's will for us? And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Warn lazy people that their laziness is not pleasing to God and their idleness is not serving God's purposes. 
Warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. That's God's will that we are people who comfort the discouraged. There are discouraged folks in our church. God may be laying on your heart today the name of that person. And what's God's will for you? He wants you to go and encourage that person. Send them a quick text. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. I love you. Give them a meal. Say, look, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I just, I just wanted to buy you some lunch today. It's God's will that we comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. There are those that need help in our church congregation. Are we willing to come alongside and give up our, our desires to do whatever it is that we are going to do and say, you know what, I'm going to come alongside them. I'm going to help them out. Maybe they're weak spiritually and we can be there to pray with them and encourage them from Scripture and walk with them as they mature. Maybe they're weak physically and we can come alongside and we can help them out by doing yard work or helping them in some other way. Be patient with everybody. It's God's will that we're patient with each other. How often are we short with those around us? We're impatient. We get snap at them because they're not doing what we want them to do or they're not fast enough or they're not whatever. They're not where we want them to be and so we're impatient. What else does he say? See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for anyone, excuse me, for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We ever think about the fact that God's will for us is that we're rejoicing always and praying constantly and giving thanks? We ever thought about the fact that in our complaining spirits, that's not God's will? If we've been reminded of the fact that God was very harsh on the children of Israel and their complaining spirit out in the wilderness, and yet we come home and we complain about this and that and the other, instead of being thankful and grateful for what God has blessed us with, it's God's will that we are thankful people. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. That's God's will for us. We need to use our time obediently, not following after our own personal pleasures, our own human desires, but doing the will of God. Are we using our time obediently? Are we frittering it away, doing all sorts of things that really at the end of the day are for us? I want to do this. I want to do that. Instead of saying, you know what, God, what do you want me to do today? What, what is it that's going to build your kingdom? How is it that I'm going to be able to encourage the body of believers? Minister to somebody that needs to be ministered to. God, how can I use my time obediently for you? Maybe we should say it this way. God, how can I use your time that you've given to me? Number three, we need to realize that we've wasted enough time. Look what Paul, or Peter says here in these verses. He says, 
For there has been already enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry. And they're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. You know what? For those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we were saved from that kind of lifestyle. Now you might say, look, I, Pastor Dave, I, I wasn't really involved in drunkenness before I got saved. I, I didn't get involved in orgies and carousing and all of that sort of stuff. Like, I didn't waste my time with that, Dave. There's probably some of us in this room that would say, you know what, I did waste my time before Christ in that stuff. But the reality of it is, is that if we look back at what Jesus taught, he would say, you know what, behind all of these external sinful behaviors, there's the heart of sin at the heart of it. You know what? You might say, look, I've never committed adultery, but you know what? Jesus says, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Hey, look, Dave, I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but if you hate somebody in your heart, it's the same as murdering them. At the end of the day, whether we can say, look, I didn't live in this bad stuff. Well, guess what? Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we've all lived in other bad stuff. We're all guilty of sin. And it starts in our hearts. We're sinful people in our hearts. And it shows itself in one way or another in our lifestyle. And Christians, if we've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know, we spent more than enough time in that sin. We don't need to keep on doing it anymore. If you're here this morning, and quite frankly, you might say, look, I don't live that way. Like, I, I'm a pretty moral person. I don't go out and get drunk on the weekends. I don't follow after lust, after lust, after lust. But the word of God says that for all of sin and fall short of God's glory. And so whether or not you're living it out in a way for people to see in your heart, you still got sin that separates you from God. And my encouragement or challenge to you this morning is, you know what, you spent more than enough time in that. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus to save you today. Any amount of time in sin and living a sinful life apart from God is more than enough time. And as Christians, we need to look at sin in the way that God looks at sin. He hates it. And we should look at it and say, you know what? I spent more than enough time in sin. I don't want to spend it in that anymore. I want to live obediently for God. You know what? The fact of the matter is, is that when we live the way that God has called us to, when we come to that realization, you know, I spent more than enough time in that. I'm going to live for Christ. Guess what? There are going to be those who we used to hang around with, to do those things with, that will say, hey, why don't you keep on doing it with us? Hey, come on. Hang out with us and do this. Watch this with us. Party here. Do this. And when we say, you know what? No, I've, I've spent more than enough time on that. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've been saved from sin. I'm not going to do that anymore. Guess what? They're going to say, you're crazy. You're wasting your time. You're following after something that doesn't matter. You're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You ever heard that phrase? I think that's the dumbest statement ever. We can't possibly be too heavenly minded. 
We're told to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That our treasures are in heaven, believers, not here. We're going to get slandered. That's okay. Jesus experienced that too. But keeping that in mind, when our unsaved friends come to us and say, why don't you do this? And we're like, no, you know what? I don't live that way anymore. I don't talk that way anymore. I don't think that way anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus. And they say mean things about us and they call us this name and that phobe and this, this, and this, and this. I want us to remember the last thing in this passage, and that's this. We need to reach the lost while there's still time. We need to reach the lost while there's still time. Because what does Peter say in the last two verses? He says this, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. See, we don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time our neighbors have, our family members have, our colleagues have. But when their time here on earth is done, they're going to stand before Almighty God. Do we really love them enough that when they stand before God, they can say, you know what, I've given my life to Christ. I'm here because of the shed blood of Jesus. And that Jesus will welcome them into eternal life with him because they've put their faith and trust in Jesus as we have. Do we really want them to stand before the judge of the universe and say, you know what? You've rejected me. You've rejected Christ. You've scorned the salvation that I provided for you. You're going to spend eternity in eternal punishment. Do we really want that for anybody? See, Peter, I think, reminds these believers that time is fleeting. He says, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. Their time is up. These were actually believers, though, when he refers to this. He says, so that although they might have been judged in the flesh according to human standards, hey, you know what? The gospel was preached, and there were those that believed, and now they died. You know what? They did experience human judgment. Hey, they were judged by people because they followed Christ. You're going to get judged by people because you follow Christ. But guess what? He says this, they might live in the spirit according to human standards or to God's standards. Guess what? He says, you know what? Those people's time was up, but because they trusted Jesus as Savior, they're spending eternity with God. We should want every person that we come in contact with to have that privilege and provide every means by which we can offer that to them, sharing the gospel with the lost world, because guess what? We need to do it while there's still time. In a minute, we're going to sing I Surrender All. It's going to be kind of a tag at the end of our closing song. And I want you to think about that, believers. Are you willing to surrender your time? Your plans to God? Are you willing to live obedient, reaching the lost while we still have time? Are you willing to look at sin that so easily besets us and say, you know what, I've wasted enough time on that. It's high time I start doing something for the Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, 
I can't guarantee you more time. You can't do anything to add more time to your life. Jesus says, you and I, we can't add one more minute to the time of our lives. Only God knows how much time we've got. I urge you, be saved today. Trust Christ today while you still have time. Believers, it's our responsibility to get out and share with those around us. And as we're sharing, help us to remember, or I hope that we remember, that we have only a limited amount of time and we've got to use it to the best of our ability for God.